Hey fried friends, the changes that you are able to make because of fried never ceases to amaze me. Just last week, this review slid into my Instagram DMs. Thank you for bringing awareness and resources and sharing people's stories. I found your podcast during a really dark time in my life and hearing other people's experiences with burnout, how they got there, how they overcame it, and how it has shaped who they are now. All of it has been so inspiring and helpful on my own healing journey. You guys, this is exactly why Fried exists, and I am so proud of the shape that it's taken thanks to the combined efforts of myself, my guests, and most importantly, you, my listeners. Before we get in it today with author and wellness expert Kelsey Patel, I really want you to absorb the fact that Fried is something that we create together. Your questions, your feedback, your listens, and the changes you make in your life because of Fried are the reason that it exists and the reason it moves forward. So I wanted to throw out a massive thank you for co-creating this space with me. And I want you to always remember that I am just a Zoom call away and you can book a free consult to hash out what you need to end the burnout cycle in your life. You just have to head to bit.ly forward slash call Kate to schedule yourself a spot. And now let's meet the magical Kelsey Patel. Welcome to Fried, the burnout podcast. Fried is the podcast for everyone who has ever felt burnout because of their job, relationship, or life. Kate Donovan, burnout expert, will interview a new guest each week who will share their burnout stories with all the gory details. Every episode will give you immediate action steps that you can take right now if you're feeling fried and crispy around the edges. Fried's main goals are to raise burnout awareness, kill the associated shame, and create a movement to end burnout culture. Hi, Fried listeners. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to Kelsey Patel, who is one of Hollywood's leading wellness and Reiki experts. She is not only a sought-after spiritual empowerment coach, yoga teacher, Reiki healer, and meditation teacher, but also a multifaceted entrepreneur and inspirational speaker. She is the author of the newly published Burning Bright, Rituals, Reiki, and Self-Care to Heal Burnout, Anxiety, and Stress. It's available wherever books are sold, and you guys know that I am psyched about that book only by the title. It's all the things I love all in one place. So Kelsey, thank you so much for bringing your energy and your wisdom and your experience to the show today. I'm sure it's going to be really powerful. Oh, I'm so honored. And thank you so much for having me and also just for the work that you're doing, because we are both, we are both trying to light a torch and a path for people to recognize burnout and to be able to shift it and know that it's needless suffering, um, not all the time, but a lot of the time. And it's important for people to give themselves permission to be where they are so they can shift it to burn bright. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely agree. And the more of us that are talking about it, the more this conversation happens, the easier it becomes for everyone. And absolutely. that's why I love doing this as much as I love doing it because I get, I, one of my closest friends sent me a message recently and she said, listen, over the past year, I'm pretty sure this podcast saved my life. <gasps> oh, that gives my whole body chills. And I just... I mean, I knew that it was going to be important when I started it because I got it as a download. This, I didn't decide to do a podcast from a mental place. I decided to do it from a place of, of being called to do it. I get that. I, I understand that on every level possible. So when it, when it started to be big enough for people to start paying attention to it and for me to get feedback like that, it just, it, it floors me and excites me equally. Amen. 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 I, you know, and I, I can honestly say that's a lot of where my book came from. You know, I'm not someone who has the desire to just sit down and write for several hours. That's not my personality. <laughs> it's never been my personality since I was a child. I want, I, I'm like, oh, is it snack time? Oh, I have to go to the bathroom. Like I am not the, let's sit down for several hours and write. And I know that this book was channeled beyond so far beyond me because it was easy to do it meaning it's it's a lot of, of work of course to yeah. host a podcast to birth anything into creation yeah. and I, I certainly recognize and honor that about myself but 
it really, it was, the process was so easy. It just flowed and it came through and everything fell into place so gracefully. I never had this like burning desire to write a book that wasn't even really in my realm because I like people and I like being (laughs) with people and I like doing workshops and I like traveling to do workshops and leading retreats. And that's really my sweet spot. So a book was never really in my cards the same way for you, probably this podcast wasn't. (laughs) And when you feel that when everything falls into place, you just kind of follow. Yeah, which is something that you learn, I think, as you go through a spiritual path. But what we're going to really start with, even though we already sort of started, is your burnout story, which I'm guessing did not feel like it had this much ease and this much support and this much serendipity. Oh, God, no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I would imagine my burnout story is similar to many people's, but also very unique and different, of course, because it's mine and we all have our own individual experiences and and paths. But I talk a bit about it in um, the book, just in the beginning, but not a ton of the story, but enough of the story to kind of share the like how and why and where it came from. But I would say overall, I think I learned from a very young age that my value was equated with my doing with working. Mm-hmm. And I had two very, very hardworking parents that both came from very poor families where they didn't have a lot. So they both worked really hard in their own lives to become sort of the pioneers to create, you know, a, a nice home and all of the different things to provide for their own family. But that doesn't necessarily change the mindset. You can have the success and you can have you know, different tangible assets, but it doesn't necessarily shift the energy and the fear-based mindset from which you operate. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really where my burnout started was not that I was burnt out at a young age, but started to get on the mouse wheel at a young age. And it just carried through in everything. It spilled over into everything in my life. And so, you know, now, and after years of doing the work and therapy and healers and all of the stuff, I slowly became aware that I was the common denominator. Mm. So I tried many different careers. I worked on Capitol Hill in the United States Senate for several years. I worked in a Fortune 500 company and did crisis PR. So I had very, I guess you would say, impressive jobs from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And then I opened up my own fitness studios. I own a bunch of pure bar studios. Mm -hmm. I wasn't the creator, but I was a franchisee. And my anxiety and my physical back pain really started when I started my career. And I always had more than one job, which was (laughs) like something I did even in high school. And I think that's really where my burnout started. It was like a slow burn of burning the candlestick at both ends. I got everything that you can get. I got shingles. I had mono. I had the herpes virus, which formed through cold sores. Like I had all the things and I just kept going. You know, a lot of times some people have, you know, their, their moments. And I don't think I had that quote unquote moment. I just had a slow burn and I started to finally realize that I was the common denominator. It wasn't the job. It wasn't the city. It wasn't the relationship. It was me. Right. And have you heard the, the old adage about the frog in boiling water? No, probably French. I'm thinking, but if you throw a frog into boiling water, he'll immediately jump out no matter what. But if you put a frog in a pan and slowly heat the water to boiling, you'll kill the frog. Mm, wow, that's so powerful. <laughs> and this to me is why burnout is so insidious in our culture and is such a big problem because you don't really feel it yeah. until it's kind of too big to ignore. And at that point, you're thinking, yeah, but I've been doing it this way for 12 years, 25 years, 40 years. What's the problem? It never bothered me before because we don't see and we didn't feel that initial pilot light going to light the small fire under the pot. And we didn't feel when the water went from cold from the faucet to room temperature to warm to hot. We, we missed all of those things along the way. Mm, that's so profound. And it's true. As you said before we started recording, like I think there is a lot of 
shame around burnout. You know, it's this sort of martyr series of, especially in my personal opinion, especially with women where it's like, well, I should be able to do all of this and make a homemade meal and take care of my family and friends and show up for people. It's like, And I've always been able to, Yeah, I think is the problem with burnout because usually you forced yourself to actually do all of those things for a long time. And then all of a sudden when you can't, you feel defective and deficient. And guilty. I mean, let's talk about guilt for a second. (laughs) And the guilt, I think for me was like a deep, deep part of the pattern yeah. And shame, of course, comes through that as well. But there was so much guilt around not showing up for people or not saying right. yes to something and always wanting to make everyone feel good and feel right. taken care of. And and yeah, 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 absolutely. This is a big part of it in my life, too. And I was just talking to a coaching client yesterday and she was saying she kind of has this issue. And I said, listen, I have an online course that teaches you how to keep your energy out of other people's spaces, basically. Like keep Mm. your energy to yourself so that you're not leaking energy all day long. I love the course and it's really great. And I said, but listen, I'm just going to give you an example of I've been moving through this method that I created to notice your energy leaks for two years now. I've been playing with this theory for two years and I still catch myself doing it. So it's not like it's gone. It's just that I notice it now. It doesn't bother me so much. I drop the guilt and I can reframe it very quickly without an emotional attachment. But it still happens. So yesterday, this literally happened, you guys. So laugh at me all you want. Just I just want you to hear this story. It's a little bit of a vulnerable moment, but it's kind of funny. I had made breakfast in the morning and I made an English muffin. And I like English muffins to be like crispy on the outside, like properly toasted. I do not want it to be like just barely brown. I want it to be crispy. So I had the toaster all the way up and I made my English muffin and I made the rest of my breakfast and I ate. My husband had exercised in the morning and had a shake. So he was having his proper breakfast around 11 o'clock. So a few hours after I was. So he went and he made himself a bagel to go with his breakfast and his bagel burnt because the toaster was on level six. And He sat down at the table and he started eating with his bagel being burnt, didn't say anything about it. And I looked over, noticed his plate, noticed his bagel was burnt, and I immediately felt guilty for having turned up the temperature (laughs) on the toaster. And in my head, my first thought was, oh shit, I didn't turn the toaster back down. That was my first thought. I have to make sure that the toaster is at a neutral space so that other people's toast doesn't burn. Come, I mean, come on. This is one of the spaces in life where we lose so much energy. So I had to sit there and reframe it for myself immediately and say, first of all, he's not complaining that it's burnt and he probably doesn't even care. First of all, second or of notice all, or notice. Second of all, he's an adult and he has the ability. I trust in his like natural resources and abilities and intelligence to check the toaster before he puts something in it. If he wants it to be a particular one to six level of toastiness. I so relate to that. And I think <laughs> many people listening probably do too. And it's, again, it goes back to this martyr that like, yeah. as if somehow we are the ones that are responsible for everyone else's happiness, their pleasantries, their comfort, yeah. their joy, their safety. Look, it's systemic and it's also yeah. ancestral and yep. it's also societal. Yep. So it's not, you know, and I talk a little bit about this in the book, this age of anxiety that we're living in. That's literally the first chapter of the book. Right. Because I want to create a foundation for people as you as well are doing and your work, foundational awareness of what we're experiencing on a very, very human level. And because if people don't realize how much they're bombarded with thoughts and with repetitive thoughts and with information and with all of these things, then they can't understand how to even tap into their own mind and their own way of processing, right? So if we can at least establish that like there's a lot of shit going on (laughs) and there's a lot of shit that's beyond you, right? To just almost like scrape away at any of the guilt and the shame that's layered upon us so that it's like this fair baseline to begin. 
And then I talk about imprints and what an imprint looks like and how it's established and how you have imprints and how you can start to identify your imprints, whether or not it's about financial belief systems, whether or not it's about relational belief systems, whether or not it's about not enoughness, worthiness, you know, and really to start to establish that so you can start to get an inside look at your operating system. Right. So I love the theory of imprints and it's something that I've worked with for a long, long time, but there might be some people listening that hear you say that word and they're not sure exactly what you mean. Can you go into that a little bit deeper so that people understand? Yeah, of course. So in the book, I talk about two different types of imprints, right? There's the imprints that don't really, that don't really shift you. And they're more of, they they can even be helpful imprints, right? So an imprint could look like, let's go back to sort of the frog analogy, just going back to the stove. You're a child, your mom or dad says, don't touch the stove. You touch it and you realize it's actually hot and it hurt. Okay, I have an imprint now to know that that stove is hot and if I touch it, I can harm myself, right? So there's an imprint that's actually quite helpful. Then we have imprints that are given more of our belief systems, right? It surrounds more of the values that we have in life. It surrounds more of the who we believe we are in the world based on what we've been taught that we are. Mm-hmm. So for women, that could be, you know, ideas of what women are versus men. It could be your role in your family, sort of what you're quote unquote known for, like, oh, you're so this, or you're so that, you're so dramatic, or you're so smart, or you're so beautiful, or you're so difficult. So just all these energies that we've picked up over the years and created a foundation of believing this is what makes us us. So to me, that's really where, and many people have different variations of what imprints are, but that's kind of the foundation for me of what I've seen in most my personal life, but also my work and working with thousands of people over the years to do some of this deep diving. And, you know, it's like peeling the layer back of an onion. The more you go in, the more potent it is. Right. That to me, the ability to start to check in with your imprints looks like is seeing sort of the surface layer ones and then going really deep to the core ones that drive a lot of your decision making in life. Yeah. And you said in the beginning, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit because it's still sort of ping-ponging around in my mind. You said in the beginning, um, something that I felt to be true in my life, you know, there was this sort of push for accomplishment and hard work to prove value. Mm -hmm. And that's like a burnout risk factor, kind of the way that we put it. And then we talk about this sort of overarching anxiety and all of this information. And that's sort of a separate piece. Do you relate those two pieces at all? Or do you think that they're two pieces? Oh, I think they're intricately connected. <laughs> yeah. T- can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. So to me, if you're sort of living from this operating system where there's a belief system, this, this foundational imprint that my value in life comes from what I do, how I contribute, right, to others, to the world, to my work, to whatever it may be, my relationships, then to me, the anxiety that that creates is that there's this loop and there's this never-ending cycle and belief system that if I'm not constantly doing and giving and showing up for others, that I then, I'm not enough of me, I'm not valuable, I'm not worthy, I'm not helpful, I'm not all these different things. And the anxiety that that creates, that it induces, is this self-separation, so that there's this illusion that everything that I am is what exists outside of me, right? Like the doing that I give, the book that I write, the podcast I create, the dinner that I do or don't make. There's this sort of constant false illusion that what I do is going to equate to what I am. And really, the reason I believe that the anxiety exists for so many people is because there's this lack of self-connection, of showing up in service to self. And so that to me is what I've seen, at least in my work and with myself, is really a lot of where anxiety exists. And look, I also talk about this in the book, and I just want to put it out there as well. 
anxiety is not always just an emotional, energetic experience. Many people would argue that, but I also want to create a foundation for people to see that if you are not in your physical health, that also on a very, very science and physical body basis can give you anxiety. So if your blood is not pumping, if you're, if you're not able to have the right levels of, you know, potassium, magnesium, all these different things in your physical body, then that too can create anxiety for people. So I, I don't want people to just believe that it's this emotional disconnect, because there can also be shame around that, like, oh, I must not know how to do this well enough. Right. You know, again, in in the book, I talk a lot about the triad of wholeness, this idea that we've all heard of, of mind, body, spirit. But it's really true. If your physical body is not optimized, then you will also experience anxiety because it's your body's way of shouting to you that something's off. Right. That's an interesting way to look at it. In my life, the words that I use are different, but the explanation is quite similar, like this constant need to accomplish something, which often is surrounded by pleasing someone else so that the Mm -hmm. accomplish is noticed and recognized, put me into a state of constant hypervigilance. Yeah. And that was was the anxiety for me. My energy was, like you said, outside of my body all the time. I call that abandoning your own energy. Like you're taking your energy and you're throwing it in between like towards other people and making sure that you are there often enough to be able to feel shifts in their emotions, energy, wants, needs, desires, so that you can meet them before they even know they have them so that you can please them. If you find yourself craving your next cup of coffee to get you through your day, your body is telling you something's wrong. Despite what you think, it's not normal to be managing your day from one burnt out moment to the next. Unlike your caffeine fix or other stimulants, Nadovim delivers a clinical dose of the key metabolite that enables your brain to improve its own function on an ongoing basis. Imagine that, the pick-me-up that keeps giving. Not only that, but Nadovim's main compound, NAD+, has been heavily researched, deemed safe, highly effective, and has caught the attention of many of the most cutting-edge medical clinics for its anti-aging and neuroprotective properties. They've even extended a 20% discount code only for the fried audience, so you can grab yours now at www.nadovim.com with the coupon code BURNOUT. That's www. Dot N-A-D-O-V-I-M dot com with the coupon code BURNOUT. Hmm. It's kind of all and, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the beauty of this work is that each of us are unique, right? Like none of us have the same DNA imprints. None of us have the same societal like emotional, relational imprints, cultural imprints. We all have something very unique and very incredible in its uniqueness. But I do believe that there are some very basic awarenesses that we can all have with ourselves, which looks like you got to take some inventory of your life and you got to take inventory of what's working and what's not. And if you're not willing to make radical shifts, a radical shift, by the way, doesn't mean leave your whole life and start a new one. That's exactly the opposite. A radical shift looks like I'm going to challenge myself to go to bed 20 minutes earlier and read a little bit before rather than numb out through TV and a glass of wine, which by the way, I love both of those things. Right. But it's really about those types of shifts to know yourself well enough to know that this isn't working for me anymore. I need to disrupt this pattern because it's just become a pattern and I've just gotten comfortable with it, but it doesn't mean that it's self-serving. That it's serving me. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that Chinese medicine says is the coping mechanisms that we create in childhood to survive and to thrive even between the ages of 35 and 45 they end up costing us more energy than they're saving us. But up until that point, they were working. Mm. But people get really stuck in this, like, well, but this is how I've always done it. Why isn't it working now? 
And I really profound. I think that that's something to really notice because, you know, you said like make radical shifts, but make radical small shifts. And by radical, you don't mean big by radical. You mean, what do you mean by radical? To me by radical, it means you are dismantling Mm. those small creature comforts (laughs) that have been basically exactly what you're saying, that they've been serving you for a very long time. And now it's time to challenge yourself to upgrade your operating system. Yeah. And And, the very, very good example is saying, oh, it's not actually my responsibility to change the setting on the toaster. I trust my husband. That's a radical shift. Right. Is to not take responsibility for everyone else's happiness and well-being. That's right. a radical shift. It's a small act, but right. it's a radical shift of behavior. Right. Yes, I love that. I love this. Me too. <laughs> so this is clearly our passion work. I know, right? I'm so into this. I had a conversation last week with Dr. Valerie Ryan, who wrote the Patriarchy Stress Disorder. I don't know if you've oh, seen it. I don't it. know that. It's, she's basically saying a lot of the same things that we're saying, but she's talking about the overarching cultural and transgenerational traumas that we are absorbing into our bodies without even really noticing and how that's problematic for our moving forward because when we're making these shifts we get into a place where we feel unsafe yes and feeling unsafe makes us go back to our old patterns right so this is creature comforts. the creature comforts yeah exactly this is one of the reasons that i love so much being in this space and working with someone like you because having someone there to witness what I'm going through and validate my experience with me makes me feel safer and enables me to make bolder moves. Oh, amen. You know, not to just keep tying it into the book, but really- That's what we're here for. (laughs) Right, right. Thank you. That's another comfort that I need to get used to. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're here for. Talk talk about about your book. Yeah, yeah. I'm into Um, it. Thank you. Thank you for the permission. So in the book, I equate mind, body, spirit, or body, mind, spirit, rather, because I call it rock, paper, Reiki, like the old (laughs) uh, rock, paper, scissors game. Mm -hmm. And in the book, rock is representative of the physical body, like the earth body that we are living in and our relationship to the earth and all of these different pieces of awareness and wisdom and opportunities to create that connection to the physical body with the physical earth. And then The paper is the mind, right? So the things that we read and consume and see and the things that we write on paper, the journaling exercises, all these abilities to become more aware of our mental state. Mm -hmm. And then the Reiki of rock, paper, Reiki is attributed to spirit. But part of what I talk about in, in the spirit category is community. And I did a lot of research and studying really what makes people feel depressed and what makes people feel stressed. And I quote some different studies in the book, um, a lot actually throughout the whole book, because it's very important to me to give those type A people who are the go-getters and the doers and the achievers, because that's what I was, Mm -hmm. to give them enough information to appease the right brain so that they can open up the left side of their brain to this expansive and more spacious um, and creative space inside of them that we all have to then see how much we do need this other element of ourselves to be activated. And it's not just spirit, God, religion, faith. It is that, but it's also about this ability to surrender and surrender not only to perhaps a higher power and to perhaps, you know, your bigger purpose here beyond the doing, but also to surrender to being supported, to surrender to like community. And part of the reason I talk about that in this spirit category is because there is a reason that we as humans have these very basic primal needs, which include touch, which include like this heart to heart connection. And I want to put that out there because I think having a support system 
is a huge part of being human and receiving those types of permissions. Yeah. Yeah, I totally, absolutely, 100% agree. And my my DIY course for mastering your own energy week four is finding and plugging spiritual leaks. And I talk about, the only thing I talk about is community. Mm. I'm right, I am so right there with you. And I think that people get sometimes a little bit freaked out by those of us who have existed in the mind, body, spirit world for a long time because they're a little bit afraid of the quote unquote woo woo side, which I mean, I love, but I understand that people are wary of it. And I think that making spirit about community, about the thing that keeps your spirit safe and whole makes it more accessible to more people and will make it more successful long-term because even I mean, studies show over and over again, even when you're meditating, if you're meditating in a group of 30 people, it's not 30 times stronger, it's 300 times stronger, the energy in the room. Mm, they've love that. measured it, like they've measured it. It's not, so it's not about, I think, and I think this is especially important in the United States, because when you look up um, America's cultural values, in the top 10, you find individualism. Mm. Which is crushing us. Like that's crushing us. Right. It really is. Yeah. And so, and, and this also this idea of capitalism, right. Which is what our society is rooted in, which is very much about individualism and very much about like making enough for yourself. So you have all the things that you want. And I, you know, I think we can often see these examples of the dismantling of that through children right where these beautiful stories and beautiful images and videos of children who are why babies always want you to eat some of their food right (laughs) and as the mother you're like oh god I don't want to eat that like smushed blueberry that's been all over your face already but it's like but that's because they want everyone to like have and You know, and I think when you find a community, though, and look, that to me is also why religion was able to become so powerful. I agree. Because that's, it was rooted in community, this idea of seeing your friends at church or your family or this ritual um, experience. And it's quite beautiful. But with people who, and I very much understand this, want to like be away and oppose religion, but it doesn't mean that you need to oppose community and connection and vulnerability and prayer and meditation or whatever the practice is, even if it's a Sunday supper, you know, together, whatever that thing is, like, it's a very vital and very important part of our human nature. And we see it in animals. If If a monkey gets turned away from their community, it's not a matter of years it's a matter of months before they will die alone right so it's like we have to also see the mirror in nature for what we as humans need as well in our lives and everyone needs to be loved everyone needs to feel supported and seen and heard and really valued and that that's not none of us get to escape that physical human need but we do have to create active practices to welcome it. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a lot of talk in the spiritual world that sort of makes me semi-mental. And part of it is, you know, you must love yourself before you can love someone else kind of thing. And I feel like the thing that's really missing from that is this idea of community. I was taught how to love myself by having people in my life who I fucked up with, hurt, made mistakes with, and they continued to love me anyway. Yeah. I so, so appreciate that because, you know, and I do think there's, look, I think there's a balance between the two, right? If you don't give yourself some ounce of love and compassion and acceptance, then it makes it very hard to welcome that from anyone else. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you are willing to be imperfect, if you're willing to be raw and vulnerable and real with others. It's the opening of the portal to all of the divinity and the the magic inside of you, right? Because I think people are, you know, a lot of the people I work with, and I'm sure for you too, 
it's not that they don't want to do the work. They just feel like they don't know how to start. Right. And that to me is where the opportunity for community exists is you don't have to start alone. Sure. It might feel like that, or you might believe that to be true, but challenge your belief system. You don't have to start a meditation practice alone. You don't have to start a movement practice alone. You don't have to start a vulnerability practice alone. There's enough stuff out there. If you are willing to be accepted, you will be accepted into that community, but you have to be willing to show up. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be scary. Of course. I think the part of the true surrender, right, is um, I've been saying that word a lot lately. And it's a word that sometimes I forget because I don't want to surrender and I want my ego and my control has come up in a way that I've completely missed um, because it's very tricky. Yeah. (laughs) And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, and this might be after days of like self-sabotage and suffering. And then I'm Just like, days? That's oh. not bad. <laughs> well, it used to be much more. Yeah. But, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you silly, silly goose. You've just forgotten to surrender this. Like, yeah. surrender. Give yeah. it to the altar. Like, give it to yeah. God's spirit. Give it to, like, whatever it is that you connect with. Just give it away and so ask for it to be supported. People afraid of the word surrender because they feel like... I love the word surrender. My book is called The Bounce Back Ability Factor. And bounce back ability to me is a combination of four things, resilience, trust, grit, and surrender. So mm. I'm, I'm big on the word surrender. I love it. But I know that there are people listening that have not been able yet to untangle the meaning and definition and truth between surrender and give up. So I'll tell you the easiest practice that I know of for surrender. Find carpet, a towel, a yoga mat, a blanket, put it on the floor, put on a timer, maybe soft, gentle music, and rest in child's pose for 10 minutes and surrender all of it to the floor. It's the fastest way I know to surrender. And how do you separate surrender from giving up? Surrender is an act in a moment of presence. It's a moment of awareness that you're carrying more than you can hold. Mm -hmm. And surrender to me is child's pose. My forehead is connected to the floor. My arms are extended. My root chakra, which is where your hips and your all of sort of the the sexual organs we have, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, are open. And as I'm exhaling, I'm literally just asking for what I don't need to release, to gracefully release. I'm aware enough of myself to know that I am holding and I'm scared and I am gripping to control very, very aggressively or very, very (laughs) fearfully. And I just, and tears might stream or loud exhale breaths might come out of my body. Sounds might move through. And I just say, I can't, like I, this is too much. And I just ask that I can give it away. I just surrender it. And I let my exhales help me surrender. Maybe the music, maybe whatever it is, I just keep practicing the exhale and the exhale is the release. So it sounds to me that if I was going to put this in like the simplest form possible, surrender is an act where you are fully embodied and giving up is a lack of embodiment where you're just sort of leaving things behind. Like you're leaving yourself behind, you're leaving your energy behind. Yeah, I would actually even say yes. And I would say even more for me, giving up is, is numbness. Giving up is indifference. Giving up is just a void of like disconnecting. Yeah. So yes, what you're saying and those other aspects. And sometimes you do need to give up in order to go inward and surrender to self. It could be a loved one who has a problem with um, a relationship and they are not willing to see the truth of it or someone who has a drinking problem or someone who is self-sabotaging or always wanting to suck you dry from your well, you know, and those are the ones where you have to give up. You have to give up caring more for them than they do about themselves. 
Right. You know, like that's a conscious act of giving up. Right. But it doesn't mean that you don't care. It doesn't mean anything bad about you. It just means I'm going to give up needing or wanting to control this and I'm going to right. surrender it now. Yeah. So there is sort of an, a crossover because that, that giving up that you just explained is surrender to me. Totally. Yep. Yeah. 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 So there's a crossover. So I think that people have that fear that if they surrender, they are giving up. But I right. think that You're right. if they are making a conscious, embodied decision to ask for the things that are not necessary to be taken away and ask for the support to show up in some way, then that's yeah. surrender and safer and it's more present and at the end of the day, to be honest, more successful. Of course. And, you know, I'll say this a lot with clients and it was, I believe, said to me once from a teacher there's a very big difference between being human and trying to play God. Mm. And I think a lot of times people believe that they're doing an act of love and an act of kindness and an act of support and help for their, the people that they love in their life or enabling even somebody who works for you and like yeah. letting their shortcomings just pass and like mm -hmm. doing the work for them, whatever it may be. Yeah. And this idea that you have to somehow take on or protect or do things for other people, you know, we each have a, a purpose. We each have a deep, deep divinity to us and believing that somehow, you know, better or, mm -hmm. you know, best mm -hmm. for some other human being, right? Mm -hmm. That to me is arrogance and that mm -hmm. is ego. Mm -hmm. And the more that you can look at those relationships that you are trying to control or manipulate or manage or the toaster. This is the toaster. Yep. Six, right. It's like, that's where you go. Oh, silly me. Like, I'm just scared. I'm just scared. Yeah. What am I scared of? You know, it's like you need to get in radically curious. I talk about this in the book, how to become radically curious with yourself, not judgmental, not yeah. mean, not unkind, not right. uncompassionate just radically curious about your ways. Yeah. And that will give you a lot of information and a ton of empowerment. Yeah. This, this theory that you just spoke about is something that I call the knot in my work. And it is the crux of everything that I teach. Mm. Literally everything that I teach, because I think that that is the space where we are losing the biggest amount of energy on a regular basis. We are leaking energy all the time, inserting ourselves into fixing people's problems that they are probably not even having, don't want our help with, and didn't even notice showed up. Or they need to see it, Do it so themselves. clearly and painfully yeah. so that they can decide yeah. that they want it. I'll never forget when I, I talk a little bit about this in my book, but my mom has struggled with depression and, and a lot of different suffering. And she would use alcohol to try to quiet her mind and different things. Yeah. And there was a moment where she, I think it was, she had gone to rehab a few different times over the years. And this last time I, and it's been a beautiful, she's amazing now and she's healthy and she's, you know, it's, it's incredible. But she, this last time that she went, we had, I had gone to North Dakota where my parents lived to pick her up. My dad was gone and she had a black eye and just like, a, it was a very, very bad situation. I picked yeah. her up in the hospital and we, and she was so, her ego was like on fire and so yeah. angry and resistant. And we drive to Minneapolis um, and I'm going to admit her. We're staying at my sister's house and I'm going to admit her into rehab the next day. And I get in the shower and I take a shower. And when I come out of the shower, she very rapidly says to me, Kelsey, I just drank three beers. And I was like, where the fuck was there even alcohol in this house? Yeah. And I looked at her and I said, okay, so we have two choices now, mom. Choice number one is that we go to rehab anyways. It's fine. If you show up drunk, you're not going to be the first person to show up a little no. buzz yeah, exactly. going to rehab. Or second, I'll give you $100 and I'll drop you off at the local liquor store. Yeah. And in that moment, I had the worst feeling of my entire life in my body. Yeah. Because I knew that if she chose the liquor store, you were going to have I was it. going to have to do it. And she yeah. was like, okay, why don't we stop at the liquor store first and then go to rehab? And I was like, oh, no, no. 
I'm so sorry. These are two separate choices. You know, and she sat there in silence for a minute because she was really thinking about which one she wanted. Yeah. And she ended up choosing rehab and we go to rehab and I dropped her off and I said, mom, here's the thing. I love you and I will love you no matter what you do and what happens if I never speak to you again or if we have a relationship for the rest of our lives. I will love you anyways. And I said, but right now, I don't give a shit what you do. I don't care what you decide because it's your life. It's your choices and you have to take responsibility for what you choose in your life. Yeah. And she was so mad at me. And I walked, because I was basically her daughter saying, I don't care. Like, I don't care. And we walked away. And a month later, she called me. I hadn't talked to her at all. She called me from rehab crying, said to me, I am so, I was so mad at you that day. And she goes, and I am so grateful that you did that because I chose to do this for me. You know, it makes my body chills again when I say it. And it's, that to me is the hardest and the most important thing that we can give each other in the relationships yes. that we love. Yeah. Somebody that's going through my course right now wrote a comment and said, but when your friend is in pain and you're uncomfortable because you feel their pain, like, shouldn't you be offering something that eases the pain? And I wrote back in, in, in the comment section and I said, no. And she said, well, how do you do that? I said, well, if you want to, be with them and offer them space, then you can sit in the muck with them for a little while. But when you get up, you've got to leave them in the muck. And there was like a a pushback. I was like, well, okay, but that feels bad. And I said, well, yeah, it does. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it does feel bad, but you will feel better. And the question came up, well, then what do I do next? I said, you let that person know that you trust that they have within them the resources or the ability to find and ask for help as a resource Mm -hmm. to come to some sort of positive conclusion of this situation. You trust people to choose for themselves and you trust yourself to love them no matter what their choice is. That doesn't always mean, like you said, to keep them in your lives but it does mean that you give other people the right and the trust to make choices about their own lives and it rids you of the responsibility to be the one that changed it for them. Absolutely, because if someone doesn't feel empowered exactly to make the choices for their life and their well-being, then it won't stick. Exactly. It won't be there for forever and they'll fall back into the same just like we spoke at the beginning of this the same old imprints the same old patterns the same old cycles of those creature comforts and so they have to be the one to pull themselves up and see and to me I would even say you know for that person it's like you the best thing you can do is let them know you love them, let yep. them know you, right, that you trust them, you believe yep. in their ability, that you will support them if they start making choices that are in alignment for them. Yep. But also then the next best thing you can do is go tend to your own garden. Yes. Keep doing your work, keep exactly. doing your practices, let them see the light in you so they yeah. can decide that they too want to fan that inner flame. Yes. You know? Yes, 100% agreement. We are closing up on an hour already, which feels Yay! totally impossible to me. But before we wrap up, by the time this comes out, your book will already be out. So the pre-orders will already be over and people will be able to get access to it immediately if they buy it immediately. So what is it that we need people to know for them to be encouraged and inspired to leave this podcast and go get your book like in four seconds? <laughs> first I would say if you felt connected to any of the stuff that we spoke about in today's episode that there is so much of this in the book and there is love and there is distance Reiki healing in the entire book so even if you have the book and you don't ever read it it is filled with Reiki healing energy which is for balance and harmony so just seeing it connecting to the vibration of it is intended to hold space for balance and harmony for you 
Also, for those of you that love audiobooks, I did the full audio reading myself and did Reiki energy. I had my Reiki turned on the whole time. And, you know, this book is really, it's meant to be an open resource for you to start to see new opportunities, new ways of showing up for yourself, new ways of living with yourself, new ways of burning bright so that you can really honor and love the journey that you've had as a human and feel compassion for yourself and true awareness of what you've been through as a human, regardless of what you tell yourself it is or isn't. And then the book is really meant to give you a ton, like a shitload of resources <laughs> and rituals and practices. It's, it's everything that I have personally and professionally done with people over the years. And it's really about showing you all of these different tools and all of these different opportunities and practices so that you can start creating new shifts every day in your life that will, some of them will stick and some of them won't. But the idea is that all of them are intended to help you to get to burning bright. I love that. So listen up, everybody. Kelsey Patel is the author and the title of the book is Burning Bright, Rituals, Reiki, and Self-Care to Heal Burnout, Anxiety, and Stress. You can get it wherever books are sold. And don't worry, I am going to put the links all over the damn place. So it will be very easy for you to find. <laughs> Kelsey, and there's I, a ton of pre-order, um, not pre-order, there's a ton of bonuses. So you can oh, cool. go over to my website after you've bought the book and get my bonus journal prompts, my bonus chakra healing meditation recording. So there's lots of gifts as well once you purchase the book. Oh, that's so exciting. Kelsey, thank you so much for this conversation. I loved it immensely. I am overly inspired myself right now to continue doing my own work just by spending this time with you. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here, for your time, for your energy, for your spirit, for your knowledge, your experience, and everything that you've created um, so far and everything that you will create in the future. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you, my love. All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode of Fried. Until next time. Hey, Fried fans. I am always so excited to get your feedback and continue the conversation after these podcast episodes. If you want to be involved in that, all you have to do is head over to Instagram, follow at Fried the Burnout Podcast, and post your takeaways as comments under any of the posts dedicated to this week's episode. I can't wait to hear what resonated for you most, and I will see you there.